journey with me to explore other people's lives and their experiences. Let's allow that information to take us on a journey of questioning and self-reflection that can lead us to live our most passionate and joyful life. Let's take a journey now. Hello and welcome to Journey for Truth on webtalkradio.net. I am Tammy Urbanik, your host. Mark your calendars. February 7th, 8th, and 9th, 2014 is the next Jonah Intensive in Denver, Colorado. At these intensives, you learn about the spirituality of science and the science of spirituality. In two and a half days, you learn a wealth of knowledge on a very specific topic. That topic has not yet been announced, but it will very soon. The hotel, which is the Doubletree Hotel, is giving anyone who attends the intensive a lower room rate. So that's the Doubletree by the Hilton on Quebec Street in Denver, Colorado. And also, you can sign up for the free newsletter at JonahLifeInstitute.com for first-hand information on that specific topic when it is released. My guest this week is Seven Bomar. Seven is the author of The Code to the Matrix. He's an expert in metaphysics, and I want to know what he can share with us about really living a quality life. Seven, welcome. Hey, how's it going, Tammy? It's definitely wonderful to be on the show. Well, thank you for being here. You, it sounds like from what I've read about you that you can bring uh, a great amount of knowledge to, to me and to the listeners, and we can have just a nice conversation about, well, first of all, your book. So it's titled The Code to the Matrix. What is the matrix? Well, I mean, the, the term matrix comes from the Greek word matrices, which basically means a place where things or a dark place where things are cultivated. And so in many tenses, the, the matrix itself can be seen as a womb, just like our planet. It is a place where there are many things that are incubating and cultivating here. And so the code to the matrix then would infer that there is an actual uh, edict or creed within the matrix itself that if you know it, then it starts to unravel its true identity. Hmm. Can you give us a little bit more detail about what you mean? Sure. Well, the book itself is, is an exploration into etymology. It's to look into the language. There's a lot more going on in the book, but it's to look into the language to see if we can map out the origins of our existence because obviously language, you can't just change right away. You can't bring a language to a group of people and say, hey, this is your new language. Speak this. It takes thousands of years for the languages to begin to develop and change. And so it's an approach at looking at the language to decipher a code because our existence in itself, from what I've discovered in the book, our existence is written in the language. And if we have a really uh, uh, unique eye for being able to decode the language, we not only find answers to our life, but we also find answers to the things that are going on around us. And in addition to that, it keeps going. It's uh, language itself is alive. It's a program. It's what we use to communicate in. We even talk to ourselves in it. So there's a lot more applications that you can actually utilize the code to the language for. And that kind of gets into spirituality and gets into physicality. And it just shows us how 
those three bodies, mind, body, and soul, are really interwoven. Hmm. So essentially, it's learning uh, to understand and identify our own purpose, our own meaning for being here? Right, within the language. So it, it basically gives us uh, the opportunity to, if we're saying, well, you, you know, we're, we're manifesting what we say. It's looking closer into the language, the vibrations, the tones, frequencies, and those kind of studies to say to ourselves, well, okay, well, how is that actually possible? How could I be sending out some kind of field or vibration from myself that's allowing this reality that I'm living in to be constructed? And it's an interesting thing because there's a lot of words, and what was discovered within uh, much of the work through etymology is that a lot of words are actually... Um, tied into symbolism. Mm -hmm. And this doesn't actually uh, ex just uh, limit, it's not just limited to the English language, it actually stems into the ancient language, such as Hebrew, uh, such as Sanskrit and Tamil. For instance, with Hebrew, if you drop all the letters of Hebrew down on top of themselves, they actually make a Star of David, or what some call the, the Megan Star, or the Six-Pointed Star. And so this is very important because this is the first time that many have seen that actually what languages are when they're completely put together are one symbol. And then when the, that symbol is taken apart, it then becomes the way that we express ourselves. So, of course, of course there's deeper um, occult connotations, especially to the Star of David and its true meaning and its true use. But overall, it has to do with basically languages of power. And if anyone can remember, uh, I, I believe in the beginning of the scripture of Genesis, it says, in the beginning, there was the word. So it actually gives us an opportunity, the book gives us an opportunity to look into words of power and how that actually affects the reality that we're living in. Okay, and so you're talking about when you were mentioning just a few moments ago about how how can the frequency or the vibration that we're giving off uh, contribute to the reality that we are manifesting. And, and so with that, you're talking about the law of attraction and how we're creating our own reality. And I think that the, the listeners would be very interested in how do we change that? What if we're in a position where we say, you know, I don't, I don't like my reality. Uh, maybe um, my boyfriend broke up with me or I'm always living paycheck to paycheck and in a dead-end job or all of these issues are going on. How do I change that? So what advice would you offer someone with your knowledge? Well, being on a physical plane, I, I would advise a person unless they want to go through deeper extenses of working on a spiritual and a mental level to first work with the body. And the reason is because much of, as they say, as above, so below, but it's really what you put in your mouth affects the lower parts of your body and your organs. And if you notice, the word organs is tied into sound also. And so it has everything to do with the, what I call the human hymn. It's the frequency that we're supposed to be playing in order to be uh, conducive or, or, or uh, symbiotic with the reality that we're in. And so when we eat certain things, it actually changes up the vibratory frequency of our body. And this is, has more of an immediate effect of affecting our physical reality. And so what I would advise if a person wanted to just change their reality abruptly and wanted to ensure that something positive was going to come within their next change, then they would look for a frequency shift within their physical body. And what we talk about on the website, which is astroquest.com, is we talk a lot about 
how to utilize cleansing kits and different methods of cleansing ever since even the present since the ancient times in order to get our bodies back up to speed because it's the same thing with a car you don't run a car and uh, continuously run it without changing the filters and without changing the oil so the body is the same way and if we actually have very uh, clouded I'll say uh, organs then it's very similar to us to looking through a clouded mirror or, or excuse me, a clouded uh, uh, glass of some type of scope. We won't actually see exactly how things appear. We'll see things somewhat distorted. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that is more like the entry level to any type of manifestation because we have a tendency to once gaining the knowledge or the ability or the current to start to manifest, to start manifesting things that we really don't want. And this is a direct result of the actual vibratory field of the body being unbalanced and not being balanced first before we start to uh, begin to manifest with our, especially with many of these uh, latest teachings of how to, to project with the mental body. Now that does make a lot of sense to me. <clears throat> You're talking about frequency, energy, and then I'll, I'll uh, put in there the meridian structure of our body. And when we right. are consuming foods that are not in support of our meridians, not in support of our own frequency, even if that food is labeled healthy, then it is going to create a dysfunction. It's going to create some issues and that cloudiness that you were talking about or the fogginess that you were talking about. And then when we're holding on to a lot of toxins within our physical body, it does make it really difficult to create change in our reality because those toxins then can lead us to just continue making painful choice after painful choice, and then we don't see any change uh, in terms of the positive. So definitely in my work as a medium, there has been a lot of advice given around changing the diet and really using muscle testing to look at what you're putting into your body and whether it supports you or not and making those drastic changes, at least physically, to move forward. Right. Right, because in the symbolism, alchemy teaches us a lot. I, I study alchemy very heavy. And the symbolism is actually uh, the planet Saturn and lead. Because lead is in itself, it's, it's not actually affected by light. It affects light. And it's, doesn't, it's not a good conductor, so it's actually very deadened and dense. So what happens is when the body becomes really toxic, it actually becomes similar to the element lead. And this equals for many people not having the ability to manifest or to project because they just don't have the amplification. And so what we saw really is the body, and this is another amazing part, an amazing discovery of, of what we actually are capable of doing, is our body is really a map to the immediate universe. And I know that may sound like a, a very massive claim, but not just on the atomic level, though, because many people know that, yes, there are atoms inside of us, and there's atoms in the universe, and they even kind of look like the universe. But this goes a little bit deeper. It looks at the organs themselves in the body as actually um, as below resonators to planets. And then we start to be able to look into alchemy and look into the ancient symbolism and say, hmm, maybe there is actually a connection here, especially with the music of the spheres, uh, the orchestra, the universe, as we call it, or this being an entire organism of organic life. And so we find also this connection within the words. I'm sure you've heard me tying in certain words together that mm -hmm. are, sound the same and actually mean a great deal of the same thing. And that's what I was also saying about the, the language. The la language leads you onto this adventure and then it gives you more or less a map along the adventure so that way you don't get lost. You can start to interpret things that are far more deeper than just uh, how I manifest 
and uh, and how can I manifest? So this is uh, this is some of the treats that lay in store for those that begin to crack the code to the language. Well, and that's wonderful. It sounds to me like essentially what you're talking is that about is that there is no separation and that there is a connection to we are connected to the earth, the earth is connected to the solar system, to the galaxy, to the universe, and that we're, we're connected to all of that and that you, it sounds like what you put into your book is really how to, as you stated, unravel that and read into it and understand that, that deeper meaning. In a, and I have always been taught that there there is no separation. And I mentioned at the beginning the Jonah Intensive, and the spiritual teacher Jonah has always stated that there is no separation in all that exists. And when one understands that on a heart level, enlightenment simply is. And right. and that it sounds like that that's what you're tra- attempting to and, and educating people on to really understand that aspect. Right, especially within the continuous work, because The Code of the Matrix was written about three years ago, four years ago, after a very abrupt spiritual experience when I realized that there was a spiritual plane uh, just without any denial from my personal self. And so the book itself is is somewhat dualistic because I was also um, emotionally impacted because of discovering the identities behind many of the entities on the plane, like what we call God, etc. But what I would say is um, once I started years into understanding more of it, um, I started putting it inside rather than making it continuously an external war. I began to come into more of the ancient knowledge because that's what also I, I, I tend to do within my teachings personally is look into the innovative approach at solving our problems by melding the two dominant um, systems of belief from the past, which would be the Atlantean and Lemurian Empire. And so that's, I see these. And that's right. where that's where I really want to get to. But before we get to Lemuria and Atlantis, um, what what inspired you to really learn about all of this? Is this you briefly touched on it a moment ago before I was able to ask you this question? But it sounds like you didn't really grow up with this, but came to uh, become interested in this information. Well, actually, I did grow up in it, and I actually ran away from it. As any child that was kind of submerged in any kind of spiritual atmosphere when we were younger, we kind of get sick of it. And so, but when I was younger, my mother had had quite a spiritual fervency herself. She was an evangelist, and after she was a Muslim, and so this allowed me to really see the entire spiritual scope of of uh, worship and belief within the world as a at a young age. And then, obviously, like I said, as a child, you really don't want to be sitting in church every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Monday, or whatever. So after I started getting to an age of my own reckoning, like maybe 16 years old, I was already out. I wanted to get away from it. Mm. But uh, obviously, it's a seed that's planted. And so when you get when I got to the age of around 24, 25, wanting to be a little bit more serious about my life, um, I started looking back into it because of certain sequences that were taking place for me. And I was able to get an immediate response from the spiritual realm, as we would call it. And I just started to go on with my research and continuously develop my faculties and my understanding about what is really known about the spiritual world. I believe that the Western uh, civilization in itself has only a certain amount of knowledge about what goes on in the spiritual world, but a lot more of the knowledge of what goes on in the material world, because that's Mm -hmm. the hemisphere. It's a logic left brain hemisphere. However, when we go into the Eastern teachings, we find a great deal 
uh, about the spiritual uh, subject matter of, of how we exist. So I would definitely say that younger, I already had a spiritual foundation. I had read through a lot of spiritual novels, such as the City of the Apocrypha, stuff that even as an ad adult wouldn't really get their hands on on a spiritual level. And that was because it was just in the house. My mother also made a, a good effort to keep us out of any kind of curriculums of the, the public school system. So we were homeschooled and things like that. And that had a major impact on how I developed throughout life. And uh, so later on, again, after walking away, I started to see that all roads still lead back to spirituality. You do have to at some point depart from this planet. And so I started giving it a serious look with a really good foundation of what I already had and then started pulling, uh, pulling out all sorts of uh, uh, deeper revelations into the spiritual uh, scope. Well, you're right um, that at some point we're all going to physically die. And, and then coming to that understanding or at least wanting to seek that knowledge about, you know, what's the point of our life? What's the point of our physical existence? And then what does happen after death? Which uh, that's another question I'll be asking you in just a moment. But before that, Lemuria and Atlantis, when I saw that on your website, I was very intrigued um, what can you share with us about Lemuria and Atlantis? I mean, obviously, volumes worth, but, you know, to, to collapse it in itself, as I said before, the body is the universe. So when you, if you can finally subscribe to that, then what happens is, is you understand how the brain is developed and even how our bodies are developed is based on the past and things that have occurred. Um, and so if you wanted to try to find some type of connection to how we exist now, you would obviously need to go into the past. So when I go deep into the past, I, I find actually uh, a sect of individuals uh, rising forth from the Abyssinia, which is in the Horn of Africa or Nubia, and very, uh, very uh, close to the place that we call Egypt today. And I find a civilization coming up of Dra what's called a Dravidian. And that civilization later on became Lemuria. And all, and all the stories that we have in the temples in Angkor Wat, et cetera. And then obviously people now are more familiar with the Atlantean Empire, which developed on the Black Sea, and their advent into the world and also their advent into a great deal of logical technology, such as crystal magic and, and things like this. This is all of what fills the lore. Uh, but ultimately understanding that there was a, a big rift between these two cultures, and mainly uh, sometimes it plays out as a color war, and sometimes it plays out as just an actual physical war. But the rift between these two cultures I started to recognize was the same rift between the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere of the body, and that one culture was patriarchal and the other one was matri matriarchal. And that what was needed is something of what I just call a walker of the bifrost or an individual who has tapped into their corpus callosum or a person who understands the concept of the rainbow bridge. But this is basically someone that is balanced, someone that has the ability to operate in, not in a hemisphere, but more in the center area of their mind. And that this was known as a bodhisattva, an individual who actually could walk both planes and would really be a bridge in attempts to individuals that were on the physical plane or, or a left brain logical side of their mind state and needed to be ferried across to see that right brain intuitive, intuitive side of their, their consciousness. So what we're talking about is we're talking about understanding that we still develop as understand, knowing our past lets us know what we are to become next. Mm -hmm. Looking into these empires will give us a great insight, especially when you look at the, the more of the height of the empires. It will give us the, the necessary knowledge that we need to fully grasp our existence here on the planet.
I'm, I'm still learning about Lemuria a little bit, uh, and in fact, I can let the listeners know that if they go back to an archive show that's labeled with Haska Harrison, he spoke a lot about Lemuria consciousness and uh, gave some information about Lemuria. And I'm still learning about that. What I do know, I can't say that I know all that much more about Atlantis itself, but what I do know from Atlantis is that it was the last, the very uh, later part of Atlantis's existence that we, our society, is mirroring. So what I've learned through Jonah, actually, is that the, the latter part of Atlantis, the time frame, meaning that it was still in the physical, uh, there was a lot of the technology, there was a lot of experimentation, and there was a great lack of integrity. Well, that's what we're doing now. If we look at the United States and we're looking at genetically modified foods and we're looking at uh, the science be behind combining animal genetics with human genetics, that's the same thing Atlantis was doing. Well, yeah, I mean, because the fact is, is that Atlantis actually never stepped off of the scene. In fact, Atlantis being something relatively new, especially when we see the close of the Lemurian Empire and then the beginning of the Atlantean Empires, and it's still being going on now, going on now and even connected to physical places that are here on the Earth. So Atlante Atlantean is not so much as a place, but more of a state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so what we see is with the Lemurian state of consciousness, just to, to give you, bring you abreast of, as much as I can on that in just a, a very short period of time. The mere state of consciousness is really um, is a, matri is a matriarch. It's a, somewhat of a hive. And this is when you look into, well, how did we get here? How did the physical bodies get here? It's a lot deeper because it involves planets and it involves incubation and, and, and things of that nature. And every bit of nature at that, as that term. And so when you're looking at that kind of society, in deeper knowledge, it terms it more as a, ne a netherworld, basically the foundation or the abyss or the plane in which things are developed that later on come into physical life. And so this is why there is, is sometimes a lot of mysticism and, and weird things connected around the Lemurian Empire because it is a state of consciousness in a sense that's non-physical. And so what the Atlantean Empire is, is more, Atlantean Empire is more of like an external rendition of the Lemurian Empire. It's taking the internal spiritual subjective or soul plane things and bringing them out or tesseracting them into a three-dimensional world. And so that's why we find somewhat of a mirror, although very distorted at times, a, a mirror of the spiritual world in the physical reality. And then obviously there are individuals that are a lot more adept in the craft of, of, of geometry and symbolism and language, et cetera. And we, that makes up, of course, secret societies. So what we have is, is we have a knowledge, just to sum it up for everyone, okay, okay, what is this all about? This is about a knowledge of uh, a language in particular that allows one to anything that they want or desire that they could utilize the language in order to create that. And the language in itself, and this was called Emmy or the Sumerian knowledge of how to create a world, the language also teaches you how to sustain a world. Mm. So obviously we would need something like that anyway. If we start talking and we don't know what we're saying, but we're creators, then think about how many things we would create that we really didn't even want to create. Mm -hmm. And so the ancient teachings talk about basically getting in control of your mind so that way you don't have thoughts that are against your will. Because when you have thoughts, all thoughts manifest into something. So if you have thoughts that are against your will, then you're going to have manifestations that are against your will also. Well, and, and I was, think most people do. 
<laughs> right, exactly. And, that, and that's what was discovered is that once then it it's almost makes it impossible for you to get out of a situation that you really want out of because you continuously have to think about it. And then it just starts rolling it. And mm-hmm. people call that the vicious cycle. So how we kind of put a stop in that. And we've been working on different methods because I will tell people there's no one way to this. Like some people discover the matrix by entirely different means. But we started looking deep into the metaphysics about just our aura in itself and what we really are as as something of a gyroscope. That's even why we can stand up and walk without being thrown about the planet. And so we have this auric field that based on how fast it vibrates and how fast it spins, it determines how much control that we actually have of our stance in multiple realities. So this, uh, this is like becoming a coherent tornado. Since you're already spinning, your, your aura is going now. Then it's about how to direct it and how to make sure that it's going in the, in the proper direction. Mm-hmm. And so we've been looking into and, and developing products that are what, what are called spagyrics, but basically are liquid or pure state monatomics. And this is just not monatomic gold. In fact, monatomic gold seems to be what went wrong with the monatomic world or the alchemical medicine. Because you could take a plant that exhibits properties of, of, of rejuvenation, and there are many of them, and then bring it into its monatomic state through alchemy. And then what you have really is, is uh, an element that is targeted towards fixing specific problems. So when we want to get into fixing our auric field, the best thing for us uh, the higher nutrient for us would be monatomic minerals and monatomic uh, substances because it, it, it interacts directly with our system. Okay, and so that is that information is on your website, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yep, excellent. It's, it's something that we're, we're just getting involved in, but yeah, there's quite a bit of information already. And then with your book, do you talk about Lemuria and Atlantis? Because I know it's a huge topic that can't really be effectively condensed into a f- you know, five-minute answer. But um, the information on Lemuria and Atlantis, is that also in your book? Well, it, from another perspective, and that's what, the, that's what the interesting part of how we think determines how we perceive things, obviously. But uh, from def- it's definitely a lot of deep knowledge about the Atlantean Lemurian Empire. But the perspective, again, is, is somewhat combative, which I think is always good to get a good dose of because the questioning of God ultimately leads to God and God's true identity. I will say that. But I, what I'll say also is that we created the Astral Quest because this information is ongoing. Like you come into massive revelations before you get a chance to write new books. So we started the website for individuals to follow along on the quest. And through, the, through that whole process, we've come into a greater understanding of exactly what Atlantis and Lemuria is really about. Mm-hmm. So, You're right. And it's, it is a huge topic and there is so much information and people can actually Google some of that information, but not everything that we Google is correct. Um, sure. But, um, <laughs> but it is, it is a very interesting topic. So before we end the show, I do want to follow up with the question that I stated earlier. I was going to ask, so what is your perspective about what happens after death? Well, what happens after death is that if you notice that this entire planet is going through a continuous metamorphosis, so you can see the physical body is more like the shell. And so when we leave the shell or the husk, then we go into the vibratory frequency that we correspond to next. And this was ancient knowledge was known that your progress here in life was to raise your vibratory frequency so that your, what you call your spirit or your soul can project beyond the physical body. And then when you're capable of doing that, you can experience what people call death, which is not 
such a sad thing, especially when you know how to bring yourself back to life. But you can experience that continuously even before your final death. And in fact, if you just gauge some of the frequencies that are coming off the body, when we go into deep sleep, it's very similar to death. And so what it's about is it's about understanding how to govern your frequency so that way you can get prepared for what happens when you leave the body. And so then what death becomes is just like another time of you leaving the body. This time you it's just this time you won't be re-inhabiting the body. Um, this is what a lot of our work stems into is getting familiar with the astral body and how to utilize it. So I will tell people when you die, you go to the corresponding frequency that you have achieved in that life. There is frequency degradation here, meaning that you can actually go into a lesser incarnation if you spend a great deal of your life feeding the animal body or just feeding the mental body and, and not catering to your soul. Mm -hmm. um, and so the close of this, it, I would say, is, is that people need to realize that when you feed the soul, then it gives you the ability to project and experience other things that are going on now. You don't have to wait till you die. So that that way, when you do finally leave, you already know what you're going to go do. You already know how you're going to continuously make contact, et cetera, et cetera. So, well, what, and what you're saying is very much in line with my experience in, in working with people's spirit guides and in working with people who have passed on that whatever frequency you are really operating at when you're in the physical, and I'm talking about mental, emotional, spiritual frequency, that is the frequency that you take with you into the non-physical. And so there, there is no escape. And everyone's in a while talk with someone who just they they're just so tired of this life they just want right. it to be over and then move on and it doesn't work like that so no, if, if you're doesn't. trying to escape <laughs> your life you're just going to take that energy with you into the non-physical and just continue your reality in the non-physical just without your physical body and, right. and, and then the person is actually attracted into another incarnation and, and you know this is just a part exactly. of being able to see the see the actual uh spiritual plane and what actually happens but the person sees a light that is comforting to them and they go into it and that light is generated by the sexual communion of the next life that they are supposed to reincarnate into. Mm -hmm. And right. so it's, it's very deeper now. It's a lot deeper knowledge, but it gives us the, the actual answers to why we pick up where we leave off, why we get what we're attracted to, all of those kind of things. And even why it's said that we're, we see our whole life before we actually start to live it. And so it's about just basically the innovative approach is, is to realize this is all going on and start getting yourself equipped to actually boost your spiritual body now so that way you have basically astrally invested in yourself and so then you can take that with you it's an entirely different approach because you know they'll say you can't take the material world with you all the money cars clothes etc but if you invest in your spiritual body you can take that with you well not only that not only are you taking it with you but you've invested in your life to enjoy it. You've created a sense of enjoyment sure. of life while we're in the physical. And for me, that is one of, one of the most important things to focus on is how can we really learn to enjoy ourselves, to enjoy our life, to enjoy our family, to enjoy living instead of constantly trying to survive, um, which keeps us in that, that lower frequency, that survival instinct just really keeps us in the lower frequency. But uh, wrapping up the show, all of this information that we talked about can be, uh, or most of it, can be found in your book, The um, the Code to the Matrix, which, can you give us your website and where we can find your book? Sure. You can either uh, get to us for the book and everything at astralquest.com. That's A-S-T-R-A-L-Q-U-E-S-T, all one word. 
And, uh, and then if you want to go into where our forum is with all of the information, the archives of the entire quest, you can go to resistance2010.com and you can see everything there. So one site leads to the other anyway. So, but that's how you would find that new information. Well, thank you, Seven, so much you, for Tanya. all of the information. And thank you, listeners, for joining me here as well on Journey for Truth. Uh, just take a few moments and visit empowermentthroughhealing.org, and you will see my newly released book, Loving Connor, a clairvoyance memoir on loving, bonding, and healing. And also the Universal Education Foundation, a nonprofit, is offering a workshop for pregnant teens to help with bonding and nurturing to prevent child abuse. And you can find that, some of that information on universaleducationfoundation.com. Uh, until next time, have a great week.